time I met a president, uh, it's an interesting story. It was Madame Salif. Um, and um, we were invited to Monrovia to, to, to meet with her, a civil society. And the group at the time, we met for two days and they chose me to represent them. Mm. But when you speak to a president, you only have three minutes. So I was told sure. three minutes to, pre to present everything we've been discussing for two days. So I went out of the room and I said, Holy Spirit, okay, tell me, what, what is the main thing? And I put the idea together. And I remember presenting to her and getting like this ovation and I mm. stuck to the three minutes. But that was not the most unique thing the most unique thing is that as I was talking I was watching her she was writing notes and then when I sat down next to her and she spoke for 20 minutes, the first three minutes of her speech was her repeating everything I said. Wow. And I was like, what this was is not feeling? about what me. What was the feeling? No, it was humbling, actually. You would think it would make you proud, but I knew it wasn't me. Hello, Inspi family. I am Toby Sindaba, the host of the Inspi Words podcast, and I'm interrupting your enjoyment of the episode because I want to introduce to you my guest today. I want to read out her bio. There's so much in her biography and her experience and the kind of work that she has done that would be inspiring, especially to women, since this is coming out during the Women's Month. So allow me to read through her bio. And hope that you will be inspired. My guest today is Nam Lamniki. She is the co-chair of the Women Economic Assembly in South Africa, which is a national action platform launched by President Cyril Ramaphosa in October 2021. Big deal. To create opportunities for South African women business owners in public and private sector supply value chains. She is also the Deputy Director General and Technical Lead with the Private Office of the President of the Republic of South Africa, leading the Generation Equality Program for Women's Economic Empowerment. Her work focuses on supporting the President of the Republic of South Africa to implement national, regional, and global commitments towards women's economic and financial inclusion. Nam Samnigi is an experienced chief executive officer with demonstrated history working in Africa and globally promoting sustainable inclusion, economic development, gender equality, good governance, and leadership. Prior to her role in the presidency, she was executive director of African Monitor for nine years where she spearheaded new methodologies to implement and monitor the sustainable development goals in Africa. Ms. Mnigi is especially passionate about teaching women and young people to find their God-given purpose and live out their destinies. She is the founder and head coach at Big Sis Africa, which is an academy with coaching programs designed to equip leaders to lead boldly, authentically, and powerfully. Ms. Mnigi is, trained, is a trained development economist with an MBA from the Graduate School of Business at University of Cape Town. She also serves as an associate of the Alan Gray Center for Value-Based Leadership and is the convener of the highly successful SDG Symposium South Africa. Without any further ado, enjoy the episode. 
Hello, Inspi family, and thank you so much for joining us on yet another episode of the Inspi Words podcast. And today, I'm so honored to have uh, the big sis, Miss uh, <laughs> Namlamniki, who's joining me today for uh, another installment of the Inspi Words podcast. And I think it's a very timely interview because we are doing this um, during the Women's Month, and I think she's one of the phenomenal women I've come to know. So thank you so much, uh, Sis Namtla, for joining us today. Welcome to the Inspi Words podcast. Thank you so much, Mto, for having me. It's such a pleasure and an honor, actually, to be here. So I was thinking about this as, I was, as we were driving through your generosity in inviting us. So thank you. It's actually us who are honored. Uh, <laughs> we really appreciate to have um, somebody of, of, of your stature being present in this place. Um, I just want to get to know a bit more um, about Usis Namtla, because now we see the Sis Namtla that, you know, is yeah. doing all these great works, which we will talk about. But just tell me a bit about, yeah. about who you are, where yeah. you come from, uh, yeah. where you attended school, that kind of that thing. kind yeah. of background. Some, some okay. funny um, childhood memories that you've, yeah. you, you, you've kept with you to this far. So I actually grew up in what was called the former trans guy then. I'm okay. of the generation where Katie Matanzima was like the ruler of the former trans guy many, yeah. many years ago, well over 45 years ago. And um, I grew up in a very regular home, right? Mm. As the second born, um, I was born in a very faith-led family. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And I grew up as one of those, you know, invisible, quiet kids that <laughs> were up to, like I was never in trouble. Out of all of my siblings, I'm the only one that was never beaten up at home because I was <laughs> never in trouble. Okay. But that was also a signal of some of the things I had to conquer in my life because I grew up very shy. Mm. I grew up very insecure and feeling quite insignificant, actually. Okay. And so given that background and where I am now, I think that the Lord did quite a work in transforming the very essence of who I am so mm. that I can do the work that I do. But basically, I'm a rural girl at heart, right? Like, I love ordinary things because I grew up in, in a rural area. I grew up in a very ordinary um a background, very solid um, foundation of strong family as well. So you, you talk about the work that you do now. Like, tell me a bit about that. Yeah. Where did it all start? I know you're an economist. How did you get there? Because I'm thinking, if you're talking about Transkai, like, <laughs> at the time, like, you know, being an economist, being a woman, being black at that kind of time. Yeah, Just take me through that right? journey of how you got to to the economist part, the career? So, I mean, I'm going to try and summarize it because it's a long story. I grew up in Bantu education, as you mm. can imagine. Um, I remember that when I went into high school, it was the time when South Africa was really becoming hot in terms of the liberation struggle. And just when I finished my matric is when Nelson Mandela came out of prison, but I had been in Bantu education the whole time. My first experience of the world was coming to the Western Cape to study my first degree, which was, which was in psychology. 
Okay. And that helps me to be able to do the coaching that I do today. I see. But God, I think from a very young age had placed in my heart a desire to help communities. And when I got into varsity and I started studying psychology, I got involved in politics and I got involved with the Student Representative Council. I got involved with SCM at the time, which was the mm. Student Christian Movement. And I think it was in that space that I began to find my voice and my passion when I began to learn about politics and learn about our struggle mm. and what it meant. And my desire really, I think, was an awakening of the need to transform our society and bring justice back and bring dignity back to people's lives. So suddenly I transitioned from this little quiet girl to like a big, bold voice because I think the passion I had about transformation in the nation mm. overtook all of the other barriers that I had had in my life. And then, of course, after that, after my undergraduate in psychology, then I did a an honors in development studies and then I did an MBA eventually and have worked really in the policy space and the advocacy space um, mm. since then. So I can get into some detail around that. It's interesting from psychology to developmental studies, you know, um, I think the... the the common trajectory is that people who study psychology will yeah. become psychologists and then so why didn't you so go that is, route there's a funny story around that okay. one of my uncles um my dad has four brothers yeah one of my uncles set me down as i was at varsity doing my undergrad and he said so mom dolo what do you want to do and i told him i wanted to be a psychologist because i wanted to help people and i was very passionate about it and he said you know most psychologists are depressed and crazy no. <laughs> like, as in my uncle is like, like that, right? But then I think he was godsend in the sense that mm. he began to open the door for me to other possibilities. So he said, have you considered this? Have you considered this? Have you considered this? And as I listened to him, I thought, okay, let me go back to the drawing board and consider what's possible. And then I learned about development studies. I learned about social work and all mm. of those. But development studies became the path because I was so involved in politics at university. I see. Yeah. So I'm also interested in, in this part, and I know you did touch a bit on it. Yeah. Um, there is the young Namla yeah. from rural Eastern Cape, <laughs> which in your book, which we will talk about, uh, I got an opportunity to see like the concept paper of your book. And one right. of the things I realized, and I'm going to, to read this, you speak about her as the scared little girl who would literally shake at the thought of public speaking. So what is it? that build that scared little girl into the great Namla that we see now who is coaching, who is preaching, who is doing all of this advisory work. In in in, in the book I read I, I read that you actually have been an advisor to like three presidents. Like that's 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 amazing. <laughs> it's crazy, right? For a rural yeah, girl. For in that the rural Eastern girl place. who was so scared to speak in public. What is it that built that Namla into the Namla we see today? I think it was a true encounter with God and who he created me to mm. be. And that is not a textbook thing. It's not like a philosophy, like a theoretical idea. It yeah, was literally yeah. God holding me by the hand and over different phases in my life, introducing me to who I am in terms mm. of my identity. Mm. And that started first by, I think the Holy Spirit just whispering to me my passion. So I really care about just transforming society and making sure that we live our purpose. I also has the, have this crazy hope about who we are as Africans. And I didn't learn that from anywhere. It was 
it was given. It's a gift that I know who we are. I know mm. we are built in the likeness of God. I know yeah. we're going to change the world. Yeah. I know that Africa is it. Like it's the solution to all of the world's problems. So clearly quite strongly a Pan-Africanist. Um, but all of that developed over time as I honed in my skills to say, I'm willing to give up on my insecurities in favor mm. of doing what I can to bring good in the world. And I think by learning that, I then started having this exposure where people would hear what I have to say and they kept drawing on that and they would bring me into spaces. Mm, mm. Another thing, so I've talked about the peppers and just the burning yeah. passion in my heart. The other thing that I learned in my early 20s was what I call voice, that I had this unique talent to be able to speak in alignment with my peppers, the heart of God. And every time I would speak and articulate whatever needed mm. to happen, I would see the transformation. Like literally, like big people always just were willing to listen. Mm. I undermined it for such a long time. Like I didn't know what that was for such a long time until eventually I realized that this is how God has gifted me to transform the world. This is one of the ways I do it. That if I sit, so the first time I met a president, uh, it's an interesting story. It was Madame Salif. Mm. Um, and um, we were invited to Monrovia to, 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 to meet with her, a civil society. And the group at the time, we met for two days and they chose me to represent them. Mm. But when you speak to a president, you only have three minutes. So I was told sure. three minutes to, pre to present everything we've been discussing for two days. So I went out of the room and I said, Holy Spirit, okay, tell me, what, what is the main thing? And I put the idea together. And I remember presenting to her and getting like this ovation and I mm. stuck to the three minutes. But that was not the most unique thing. The most unique thing is that as I was talking, I was watching her. She was writing notes. Oh, wow. And then when I sat down next to her and she spoke for 20 minutes, the first three minutes of her speech was her repeating everything I said. Wow. And I was like, was this is feeling? not about what me. What was the feeling? No, it was humbling, actually. You would think it would make you proud, but I knew it wasn't me. Sure. I knew there's no way a president's going to sit there. And, and at the time I was young, I was in my early 30s, and I was like, I know this is not me. And I'm so grateful that I could see the hand of God in what was mm. going on, because then it allowed me to say, at any given time, at any given place, God can speak through me to people that would not have any business listening to me, mm. but would listen just simply because I've allowed, allowed God to speak through me. Mm. And that essentially became the alignment around, we are not just born to do manga manga business. We are literally born to be the expression of the desires of God in, in the earth. Wow. That's that's powerful, right? <laughs> like I'm still Crazy just like experiences. Wow! I could I could literally tell you a list of experiences hmm. like that. But but my thing is this, like, and I get to ask this question to all the guests that, that yeah. come here. I wrote a book titled "The Jumpstart Effect." And the whole idea behind the book is about the significance of relationships, mm -hmm. as um especially in times of stuckness, which I believe each and every one of us do come across right. and experience stuckness in our career journeys, yeah. in our like life journeys generally. Um, looking at your journey, like the stuff that you have shared uh, with me now, I want to ask you, what has been the role of relationships mm. in, in, mm. in all that growth from that Namsa to this Namsa? 
Um, it's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. As you were speaking and, and asking that question, I could already think of like countless people who have played such a significant role in my life to pivot my life. Mm. Um, so my parents obviously played a significant yeah. role and I could talk for days about them. But I'm going to give you an example of somebody called Mary Simons who discovered me in my first, one of my first jobs at, at Varsity. So as soon as I finished my, um, when I was doing my master's, I actually got an opportunity to go and lecture at UCT. Now I was from UWC, so I was black black kid that wasn't used to being exposed to all these white people. Mm. And there was huge issues around racism, et cetera, at UCT. So she took me under her wing. Mm. And she began to literally just coach me around lecturing and how to, to be an academic writer and essentially how to excel. And she would bring me into a class and say, I'm going to give you a chance to lecture. I'm going to give you a chance to, um, to mark the, the exam papers and so on. And I remember sitting with her one day and she said to me, you know, Namla, for such a beautiful girl, for such a smart girl, why are you always wearing, wearing black? And why do you always look like you're so miserable? This is me in my like early 20s. I had like just gotten married. I had a young kid. And she sat me down and said, and she was not born again, by the way. And she said, you sh there should be more joy in your life. What's going mm. on? But it was a moment that I will never forget because it taught me an important lesson that success has to do with living life well. Mm. At that point, I began to look at myself and I was like, it's true, I'm always wearing navy and black. And I changed that. I changed my gratitude practice just out of one five-minute conversation yeah, with yeah. someone who loved me for no reason, expecting nothing, was willing to say, no, no, pivot. Think about doing it differently. Think about doing it this way. And now, anybody who knows me knows I'm a ball of excitement <laughs> and happiness. Yeah. But I'm telling you, Mary Simons was an important role. So every single turn in my life, role, uh, relationships have played a significant role, even in moments where it's felt like there isn't the next. Mm. Um and people come into your life and they show you that there's actually those possibilities yeah. and they mirror back to you who they see you as. Mm. And I think there are times in our lives when we are not strong enough yet, where we rely on trusted people to show us who we are mm. so that their hope and their faith is the thing that, you know, strengthens us so that we can move forward. Mm. Um, countless, countless sure. relationships like that. You, you, you talk a bit about your, your parents and you just brush through it. I want to go deep into that yes. because there is a story that I read uh, from the concert paper of the book that um, I got from Unombai about your conversation with your father. And for yes. me, that really stood out because recently I was doing um, a series on the podcast yeah. about the father's love. Yes. So I want to start there. What is your experience and definition of the father's love? What is a father's love to you? The father's love to me has probably two or three qualities. Number mm. one is the place of identity formation, where mm. you are first received and accepted. Mm. Now, I do a lot of leadership coaching with women, and one of the things we struggle with, I struggled with this personally, was belonging in the world, feeling like I'm accepted and received. And I think one of the things I've experienced from my dad was just simply being received, without question, without judgment, like the conversations we've had when I was a teenager, where he would be 
like, Mam Dolo, there's no limit to what you can mm. do. The sky is the limit. And he would sit and talk with me as if I was an adult, as if like I had something important to say. Sure. And I think that without him saying, you're amazing, you're this, you're that, because actually I don't remember my dad ever saying, <laughs> I love you. But every single thing yeah. about him is the expression of that. So that was the first thing. The second thing I think is around protection and just creating an environment where I can thrive. And I've experienced that from my dad as well, that he is a very protective, very present uh, person in my life. And that allowed me to also be able to receive God, Abba, as a father, because mm. I had that example. But I don't want to glorify this too much in the sense that I do want to be honest and say it wasn't always like that with my dad. I grew up in a very traditional family. Mm. I remember my grandfather was a bellowing figure that was very intimidating. Um, and my father was quite scary when I grew up. When I was under <laughs> 10, he literally was. So he himself talks about how God had to bring him in as a son sure. and transform him and his heart so that he could love us and love his wife, which is my mother. And I think it was that transformation which happened just as I was a teenager that got us to be quite close. Mm. So the conversation you referred to is that we were sitting and um, and I was in this process of designing my coaching programs. I was, I, I've always had a full-time job because obviously I'm a development economist, but I had a longing in my heart because women kept coming to me saying, can you, can, you, can you help me? Can you mentor me? Can you coach me? Mm. So I was busy designing this coaching program. And my dad looks at me and he says, you know, one of the problems, Mam Dolo, is that um, while women say they want equal rights, they have not defined who they want to be as leaders. Mm. And so you see women increasingly looking like they are men. And there's something special about being a woman um, and they should be defining their leadership. And in that moment, one of the things I started thinking about is, Father, what is it that I can say and what do you want to say to us as women about our leadership style and our leadership processes, as it were? So that was just one of the many conversations that guided, um, that guided my relationship with him. At some point, he said to me, okay, you're saying that you're going to give people leadership coaching, but the reason why you are who you are is because God has been a central part of your journey. So how are you going to lead people and coach people without talking about the role sure. of the father in your journey? Because you are not giving them all the skills. And I went yeah. back to the drawing board and I was like, actually, no. Kingdom, scripture is a foundation of why I do what I do and why I have been this impactful. Mm. So now a lot of my coaching programs, actually all of my coaching programs have scripture as the, as the superior the textbook. Yeah. And I can say that comfortably because I've been to business school. I know what they teach there. Mm. And I know that everything that makes sense they teach is based on scripture. And so I've been able to take that and combine it with research and experience and business school and come up with something that I believe is a way of helping us to become better leaders. Okay. While we're talking about this um, <clears throat> coaching, tell me a bit about the kind of coaching, the kind of the actual work that you do with people. Are you only coaching women? 
Um, and why, if that's the case? <laughs> what about us? I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing some undertone there. So I actually, I'm getting jealous. <laughs> I actually say that as as big sis, I actually engage with emerging leaders and women, mm. and I and emerging leaders include young men, mm. and particularly I think why that is is that that's who I've been called to, that's who understands and hears my voice, yeah. but also that's whose heart I understand, and part of why I understand those hearts is because I really do think that God has an agenda. Yeah. For younger leaders, I think God has an agenda for women. And I keep saying over and over again, if I, I, if I had known what I know now when I was in my 20s, mm. listen, there would be no... There would be no catching me right now. So you would be even and like more impactful than No, there would be no catching me. Do you know the, how, the 20 years it took me to get to where I am? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just inside, just inside. So I, I, I look at younger leaders now and I'm like, know what I know now so that you can leave me in the dust. Yeah. So that you can literally do what God wants you to do. So here, let me give you a good example. One of the examples was that in a lot of leaders struggle with confidence and imposter syndrome. Mm. And all of those things are based on the idea that you must prove yourself in the world. Sure. It took me over 20 years in my early 40s to discover that the idea of proving yourself doesn't exist in scripture. Mm. You are. Like as in it is an established fact. Everything that need to, needed to be proved was proved before you were conceived. Mm. Because God formed you, he ideated you, he decided you were the right thing to be born at the time you were born. He gave you the skills and the capacity and the equipment that you need in your mm. life. Mm. This is before your mom and dad met. This is before creation. He sorted it out. That's what Jeremiah says. Yeah. So the idea of my existence is an established fact in the heavens. But all of my life, I've been under the impression that I must impress people and prove myself. Mm. The day I discovered that there is no conversation about who am I, what do I prove, what do I bring to the table, like a thousand years of wait left. Sure. And now I enter spaces simply as I am because there's nothing to prove. And it allowed me to enter a realm of creativity and innovation where there are no question marks at the end of the sentences I speak mm. because it is what it is. I am who I am. Yeah. And if I can teach that to a 22-year-old, can you imagine that a 22-year-old, imagine you never thinking about the fact that you must prove yourself. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, and yeah. And that's where the kingdom text takes us. If, you, if we truly understand the heart of the Father, if we truly understand scripture, that's what it helps us to do. That, my child, you are. They, and mm. they, it, you are established. You are a thing. You, you, you exist already. All you need to do is to live it out, but there's nothing to prove. And that changes the dimensions of what you can do in the world. Hmm. Guys, let's pick up and, and leave. <laughs> let's pick up and leave. Okay, so now you, you have this program, this new, which I think for me is quite interesting, and I want us to talk about it, the new program that you've developed to do exactly that. Yes. Um, Big Sis Africa. Mm -hmm. Where did the idea come from? What is it all about? So, so Big Sis Africa um, is, is an idea, really. It's a heart's passion. It's mm. a heart's call, which is essentially um, a system for mentoring and coaching young leaders and, uh, and women. And the idea is to really generate an army of a 
different type of leader that thinks about the world as a space to transform into a better world. I worked a lot within the space of the sustainable development goals. I mm. truly believe in our capacity to transform environments to be good. I think that the only reason we're not able to do that fast enough is because we hesitate too much. So a lot of, of the coaching that we do there is around helping people to understand who they are and to live out their purpose. Mm. And one of the, the courses that we're running now is called Confidence Mastery. And what I just talked to you about essentially is what we're teaching, like a five-day process mm -hmm. where you're dealing with me on a one, you know, on a daily basis. And we're talking about what is your own conception of who you are? What are the blockages that make you scared, anxious, stressed, hesitating, so that you can let go of those identities and really own the identity that God has given us? My vision, my hope, Mm. is that we can literally have an army of these young Africans that are going to fill the world and begin to bring the kingdom of God. And what that means really is not that I'm expecting a preacher in every corner. <laughs> what that means yeah. is that as a scientist, as an economist, as an engineer, you are bringing the intelligence of God and the wisdom of God. Manifold into those wisdom systems, of God. The manifold yeah. wisdom of God into those systems. So that's what Big Sis Africa Academy is. It's essentially an ecosystem where we train people through coaching and through mentoring mm. and focusing specifically on young um, young leaders and women. I think there's quite a number of, you know, courses that are springing up now yeah. with the social media, the online digital space. Right. Almost everybody's doing a course. What would you say distinguishes this one mm -hmm. um, from all the other leadership courses, all the other courses that people are doing that are provided in the digital space? What is it that is unique um, that the people who would be joining this course would gain that they would not get anywhere else? Number one, so I'll mention a couple of things. I think number one is who you become afterwards. Oh, yes. Like as in, there are no words to express what happens to an individual that has been transformed mm. by a true understanding of who you are, who they are in terms of their identity. And so that is the first thing, real transformation. We do not talk about fluffy stuff. I don't do motivation. I literally extract the wisdom of God, which is mm. ancient. And we use that as building blocks and building tools to identity formation to leadership yeah. description and leadership clarity and essentially put those building blocks. A lot of what we do as well is to uproot false notions. Yeah. And that's it. So I'm a very challenging coach in that way. One of the things we, we do with this confidence mastery, I say self-confidence is a myth. It's a fake concept. You are going to chase it for the rest of your life yeah. because it's a faith, fake concept that's designed to delay you. And no psychologist says that because every True. psychologist says True. build self-confidence. Yeah. But it's a lie according to scripture. And we know that also from experience. So really quite challenging false notions of identity and helping you to establish true notions of identity so that you can become who you are supposed to become. I think the second thing, which is critically important as well, is that I deal with kingdom leaders. And I, I don't mince my words about that. Mm, mm. That there is a mandate 
on kingdom leaders around how you help yourself to transition from being a Christian at church on Sunday to being a marketplace leader, but who is using and leveraging your faith to win supernaturally, to win in the natural realm as well. And so it is about helping kingdom leaders to, I think, create a coherence about who they are in terms of their faith and how it can be utilized and leveraged for the marketplace. And how do people get to be part of their program? So we've got our social media platforms, which is essentially where we do the the ads for mm. the upcoming courses. We have one starting now in two weeks' time on the 13th um, of August. So the website, www.bigsisafrica.com, Com is essentially where you can register. And then all our socials are Big Sis Africa. And Big Sis Africa, by the way, it's the idea that you have a big sis that mm. loves you. She doesn't care that you get better than her. Her job is to make sure that you get to where you're supposed to get to. Yeah. So she's, she's your cheerleader. She's your champion. She's the one that holds you by the hand. But she's the one also who holds you accountable and says, no, you're telling yourself a lie. Mm. Let's let's fix that so that you've got the right self-concept in order to move forward. I think for me, that's the most powerful thing about the, the program. I'm just thinking, still stuck on the fact that you said part of what you do is to extract these false ideas. Absolutely. I think a lot of the time when we think about courses, it's like you're learning something new. It's never about the unlearning. So for me, that just blew my mind. Right. But right now, there's somebody who is watching this there's somebody who's listening to this and is still in the place of the young namla mm. who is not confident who is freaked out about this whole idea of speaking in public yeah. who is lacking in terms of um who, who has so many insecurities and is listening to this and i think this is also very important given that we're doing this during Women's Month. Yeah. What's your message to that young Namtla who is listening to that? I think that, number one, it's to present a clear picture of who you are in your identity, right? So you were, all of us were created to be these amazing, um, limitless individuals who are the expression of God, the goodness of God in the earth. And... Um, And to doubt that is a mistake because it's just to delay yourself. So I would say, number one, believe in the hope of that promise of who you truly are. But don't believe it is an idea to negotiate with. Believe it as an established fact. Because if you believe it as an idea to negotiate with, then your imposter syndrome and your insecurity will come and convince you out of that belief. So just know that this is who you are. There's an expansiveness, a limit, a limitless nature of who you are. And then the second thing is the gift of time. Mm. Give yourself the time to learn what you need to learn in order to, ke- to catch a hold of that dream. And lastly, get the support systems in place. So when we talk about coaching, it doesn't have to be big sis. There are many incredible coaches. But the humility to know where you need help and to go and get that help so mm. that you can actually get to where you need to get to. 
what I say, um, and I think we were having this conversation with Mbai recently, and I was saying one of the things people don't ever consider is that when you are seeking the help you need, you are not just defending your today, you are defending your tomorrow as well. So you are ensuring that that which you don't want to become never happens. Mm. You are ensuring that if you eventually want to become a leader, you are going to be a leader that is a servant leader that is considerate of other people. And so get the help you need because you are defending your today and you are defending your tomorrow. Sure. I think that's a good place to end the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sis Namsa, for, for having coming. Me. And I'm hoping that, again, we'll have you in the future. I really, really appreciate your time and all the pearls of wisdom that you have shared with us. And I'm hoping and believing that you guys at home will be part of um, the Big Sis Africa. Please Go check out the website, check out the socials and join so that you can build yourself and become the leader you are meant to be. Till next time, give your dreams a chance. <laughs>